I'm excited about this morning. I'm, I'm probably going to have to shorten this message because I have a lot more points than I usually have. Usually I have like three or five maybe at the most, but I got like 13 points this morning. Okay, so we, we do have a new clock up here, a digital clock that I'm going to keep watching on, and, and I'm going to aim to be done by 12 o'clock. Uh, y'all hold me accountable if I'm not. Um, 12.30, yeah. Um, so I have really enjoyed going through First Thessalonians. This this may be our last Sunday uh, in First Thessalonians since we're at the very end. I'm, I had one one idea of what we might do next week uh, in Thessalonians, but I'm debating whether we should do that. But but nevertheless, um, I feel like this has really set us up well for the Advent season for a number of reasons. One, the themes that we find within this book. Uh, we find the theme of the, the coming of Christ or Advent as, as it's, it's called in Latin or as the church celebrates. The, the word Advent means coming or arrival. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the first coming of Jesus, how he came and he died for our sins and he rose again and he, he talks about the second coming of Jesus. And there's also themes in, in 1 Thessalonians of peace, themes of joy, Themes of, of, of praise and adoration, themes of uh, gospel advancement and discipleship, and and so so. Anyways, I, I I feel like this this series has been really good to to set us up, particularly going into the first week, this first week of Advent that we just went into, looking forward to the second Advent. I've titled this message today "Living Between the Two Advents." Living between the two advents. That is the first coming and the second coming. Theologians also use this phrase, um, living in the already, not yet, of the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come and the, the kingdom will come. Jesus will return and consummate his kingdom and there will be a great feast and a wedding day with the bride of Christ, the church, and Jesus as the groom and a great celebration. Right. And the Bible speaks about us as Christians having been saved, we're saved, we're justified, something that's happened at one point in time. And it talks about us going to be saved. And there's going to be this resurrection. Last week, we 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 looked at um, we talked about how Paul called the church to encourage one another with these words that he wrote specifically about the resurrection and the return of Christ, the rapture. And the reunion of the saints together, us together being with the Lord. And he said two times, we looked at First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 5, 11, and, and those both, those both bookend, those sections both bookend with encourage one another with these words. And throughout this book, the apostle Paul is doing that very thing with the words that he wrote. That we looked at last week, he was encouraging the Thessalonian Christians who were being persecuted, going through some really difficult times as young Christians, because Paul had only been in there in that area for for about a month. And these guys already started bearing fruit and they, they got on fire for the Lord and they started telling people about Jesus and Paul was concerned. So he sent Timothy to, to, to encourage them and establish them and check on them. And, and he found out that they're thriving Instead of falling away and turning back, they were genuinely saved and they were persevering and they were producing fruit of salvation, such as faith, hope, and love. And so, so we see Paul writing to them, trying to encourage them to continue the, the work that he had established in their lives, laying down gospel truth and reminding them of the hope of the re- resurrection, let, resurrection, letting them know they haven't missed out on the resurrection. Perhaps there were some who were anxious about, man, did we did we miss it? Did Jesus come back and we didn't know about it? Or what about our loved ones who died? Are, are they going to miss out on the resurrection because they died before Jesus came back? And Paul's like, no, we're we're going to be those of us who are alive when Jesus returns. We're going to be caught up, which we call the rapture. If we're alive when Jesus returns. But those of us who've died, we're going to rise. And those who are alive and those who've died as saints in the Lord are going to be raised up, resurrected, and be reunited together at the return of Christ. And it's not going to be a secret coming. 
Every eye's gonna see. Every knee's gonna bow. Every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And during this Advent season, as we focus in on these readings, as we focus in on the first, on the portions of the gospel of Jesus' first coming, and we focus in on the portions of scripture that speak, speak about his second coming, This season is to be like for us what John the Baptist was like for the for the Israelites. It's to help prepare the way for the Lord. That you and I, saints, would prepare our hearts and prepare our lives to see the King. Because soon and very soon we are going to see the King. And so Paul is writing the church, teaching them how they are to live with between the two Advents. And so let me, before we read the text, let me just point out a couple of things that the Apostle Paul affirmed throughout this letter. The Apostle Paul affirmed their identity as believers. He affirmed their identity. He said, you are not in darkness, brothers, that that, that, that that day should surprise you like a thief. But you are all children of the light Children of the day, we are not of the night, nor of the darkness. So he affirmed their identity. He affirmed their election. He affirmed that they are loved by God. He affirmed their destiny. We looked at this verse last week, and I didn't, we didn't get to spend enough time on it. He said, for God has not destined us for wrath. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation. Through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Saints, our identity is sure and our destiny is sure. And he affirms that. He's encouraging the Thessalonians with with those things throughout this letter. He's encouraging them, affirming their conduct. They're really living like Christians who are real Christians. He affirms their love. He affirms their their witness. He says, therefore, encourage one another, build up one another, just as you are doing. He uses that phrase a handful of times. He says, just as you are doing. Now, we're about to look at a section where he gives a bunch of instruction, and he tells them, here's some things to do. Over, Over 12 or 13, 14 imperatives, instructions, do this. But note this. When the Apostle Paul says, Christians, do this, Oftentimes, he, in his letters, he's building off of what God has already done for us. He's already done what we couldn't do ourselves, namely save ourselves and bring salvation that is a free gift that comes from God's hand that we receive by faith. And, and we can't change who we are at the core, but God does. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation Being born again is a work of God. We don't make that happen. God does. It's a divine, miraculous work, and he changes us from the inside out. So the apostle Paul exhorts the church to live out who they, out of their identity. He first affirms what God has done and who God is and who they are, children of the light. Now live like it. And then he exhorts them and encourages them in their conduct. But he also affirms the good conduct that he saw within them already. Now, he has a lot of encouragement and affirmation within this letter. Maybe not, you know, there's some other letters that don't have as much as this, like in the Corinthians. You know, you can find it. But he had a lot of rebuke and correction and uh, in the in the Corinthians, right? There's a lot of issues. But with this church, there was affirmation and encouragement and hope and affection just 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 saturated throughout this letter he says walk in a way that pleases that to please god just as you are doing now this is important this is important as parents as we're trying to to train our kids sometimes when they hear us instructing them and and telling them uh, what to do and how they should live what they ought to do sometimes they can just get discouraged and they need to hear affirming words from mom and dad. They need, they need the good to be called out within them rather than just focusing on what they need to do so they don't feel like they never measure up. So they're always just trying, 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 trying real hard to measure up and never measuring up. 
As parents, we got to affirm our children that they're children and we love them. We're for them. Even when they mess up, we're committed to them. But, but we're going to call them to, to be greater and, and do better, right? And so, and then, you know, he says in First uh, Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing, brothers. You see, when you become a Christian, Romans 5, 5 says that the Holy Spirit pours out into your heart the love of God. And you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. He's already said this in chapter 4. God has given us the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's a basis for the call to live holy lives. Because God's given us his spirit. And he empowers us by his Holy Spirit to live holy lives. And he empowers us to love. We have the one who is love, pure love, living inside of us. And so the, the child of God who's been born again loves. It's a mark of looking like dad. And then he affirmed them of their knowledge. For you know that we are destined for this. Afflictions, persecutions. You know that this is going to happen. Paul was experiencing it. They were experiencing it. And they weren't, they didn't, they didn't give up. They weren't caught off guard. They, they, Paul taught them, obviously taught them, expect persecution, guys. It's, it happened to Jesus, it's happened to me, it's going to happen to you. And they were thriving in the opposition and the persecution that they were experiencing. Amen? And then lastly, uh, a couple more things before we dig into the text. He affirmed their witness. He affirmed that, that from them the word of God sounded forth from Macedonia. That their faith had gone out everywhere, Paul says, so that, so that we do not need to say anything. I mean, these guys were evangelistic. These guys had fruit. These guys were on fire for Jesus. And Paul was just so delighted. And no wonder he could say, what is our joy and our crown of rejoicing before the Lord and his coming? What is our hope and our joy and crown of rejoicing? Now, you would think, you would think that Paul would say, Jesus, like my two-year-old does when we're doing devotions in the morning. And I ask the kids a question. And it's, what's, what's, what's the answer, Justice? Jesus, right? Most of the time you can't go wrong when that's the answer, right? What is our hope and our joy, our crown of rejoicing? And Paul says, is it not you, Thessalonians? Is it not you in the presence of Jesus? Now, now is there a competition here? Does Paul have his affections and allegiances mixed up here? Or is that joy and hope and crown of rejoicing of the Thessalonians rooted in Jesus? And an outflow of his hope being in Jesus. In Jesus alone. Huh? I think, I think the second, right? I think, I think that, that Paul was, was looking forward to that day, standing before Jesus. I mean, ultimately, we, Paul says, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I just want to see Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. We know that that's his driving passion. But then we see this love for people, love for the saints, the parental love. He talked about the Thessalonians. He said, like a father, I exhorted you and encouraged you to live a life worthy of the kingdom of God. Like a mother, I was gentle and I, nur I nurtured you. Right, And so Paul uses that parental language. First John or Third John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my, my children walk in the truth. See, that's, that's the father's heart. That's the parental heart. The mother and father heart is like we, we want to see our kids be who God's called them to be. And we want God to get the glory from it and there to be a, a mutual joy that's shared together over God's work. In those children, Paul affirmed their faith, their hope, and their love. He says, we give thanks to you all, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father, our Father, your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. Paul also affirmed their repentance. Their repentance was legit. He said, for, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is what Christians do. True Christians repent. They change their mind. They change their direction. And this, this isn't just a one-time deal for us. Right? How many, how many, anybody needed to repent within the last week? Thank you for your honesty. We got some humble, honest people up in here. Last month, last year, 
Jesus came to save sinners. And he forgives sins, not excuses. And so we need to acknowledge that we've sinned against God and that Jesus is our Savior. And so let's read the text here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And we're going to look at all the instructions and commands that the Apostle Paul gives. Actually, would you all stand for the reading of the word? And we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always do seek to do good and pay do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So here's our big idea. And I've already alluded to this. And this is a picture, by the way, of a rainbow uh, that I saw the other day uh, in just east of Dallas here. Christians is a double rainbow. One of the first times I've seen the rainbow connect on both sides there. By the way, the rainbow is a Christian thing. That's, it, was, it was God's thing first before it got hijacked, FYI. All right, just want to say that. I thought about taking a picture of me and Steve there with it and, because we were both hanging out, but I thought, no, that might not look good if I post that with me and Steve on there. So, okay, refocus. Here we go. Christians are called to live faithfully in light of the first and the second coming. Christians are called to live faithfully in light of the first and the second coming. And that's what the Apostle Paul exhorts and instructs and calls the Thessalonians to do. And that's what he calls all the churches to do. And what we see within this passage is we see a parallel with Romans chapter 11 where Paul gives a little more detailed um, uh, um, uh, encouragement and instruction and imperatives. And he just lays out, here's the Christian life. Here's how Christians are to live. Here's how you live in the already not yet. Here's how you live between the two advents, the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. Okay? And so... After Paul had given all this affirmation, after he had expressed his affections for the Thessalonians, as he has reminded them of gospel truth of the first coming of Jesus and the, and the hope of the second coming of Jesus, he just lays on all these imperatives, all these instructions. Now, he's already, he has already said in, in chapter 4, as we looked, t- looked at two weeks ago, that God's will is that we live set-apart lives, holy lives. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that each one of you should know how to possess his vessel and sanctification and honor. We looked at that already, right? But here he's just kind of rapid fire. Boom, 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 boom. And he starts in verse 12 with, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of the work. So the first thing he's, he hits in, goes into in this, this series, this rapid fire, uh, imperative instructions. He says, respect and appreciate your spiritual leaders. The Christian community should be marked by honor. And there should be honor and even double honor given to those who labor in the word. And those who give spiritual guidance, those who are elders or pastors and serving amongst the saints. And he, and he says why. He says why this, this ought to be. One, we should all honor one another. Bible says respect all people, even non-believers. Our, our posture should be one of respect and honor towards people instead of just criticizing and dishonor and demonizing everyone. 
right? We should look for the good, call it out. It's not that we don't confront, we don't correct and rebuke and reproof, but we should be marked by honor, honoring one another, especially those who belong to the family of God, especially those who are part of the bride of Christ. Be aware that you're not talking trash about Jesus's bride, all right? All right, and, and okay, and, and so he says, honor, you know, respect those who labor among you. Notice that he says that the spiritual leaders, they labor among you, they're among you, but yet they're, they're over you in the Lord. There's, there's an authority, right? There's an authority, but there's also a partnership and a fellowship and a connection, relationships, right? And of course, we want to push back on, on any structure of, of, of church government that just kind of puts leaders at this pedestal and, and create this hierarchy where, you know, where they're, they're isolated and, and they're, you know, acting like the Pope, if you will. It's just unhealthy. It's an unhealthy structure. The spiritual leaders are among the sheep, even though they're under shepherds, they're, they're also sheep and they're among the sheep. But yet there's a, there's an authority that spiritual leaders have that, and they're going to give an account before God for their spiritual leadership, which should be sobering. And that's why James says, let, let not many of you uh, jump into teaching too quick, knowing that there's a stricter judgment for those who are teaching, right? And those who are serving in, the, in that, those roles. And, and, and he describes their work. It's, he says that they, they admonish you. He says, esteem them very highly because of their work. I like how um, the NLT says they give, they give you spiritual guidance. They give you spiritual guidance. They, they labor. They're working. They admonish. And so Warren Wearsby outlines these, this section here with, first of all, family leadership and then he goes into family partnership and then family worship, which I think is a helpful outline. Three points instead of uh, 13 here. So I'm going to move on. The next thing he says, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. Let peace mark your relationships. Okay? Instead of turmoil, like we sing, we sing, we sing about peace on earth. And goodwill to men. This Sunday, the theme of this Sunday in Advent is peace. We read scriptures on it. We prayed the God of peace. We looked at First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul calls God the God of peace. May he sanctify you, the God of peace. And, and over and over in the New Testament, we're called to be peacemakers. We're called to cultivate peace and cultivate harmony instead of disharmony and disorder and chaos and turmoil. Unfortunately, while many sing about and hear the songs, peace on earth and goodwill to men, unfortunately, many, many experience turmoil on earth and ill will to men during this season, unfortunately. And as Christians, we should be those who are marked by harmony and peace within our relationships because we have peace with God and that overflows into peace with one another. Peace with our spouses, peace with our children, peace with our coworkers. Now, Paul does say as much as, as much as possible in Romans 12, live peacefully with all men. Like, and I appreciate the way that he said it. As much as you can, like work for peace, aim for peace, but you can't force it on somebody else. They, they, you can't force them to be at peace with you. But you can take responsibility for yourself. And, and when you've damaged the relationship, when you've done wrong, you can take ownership and, and repent and confess and ask for forgiveness and acknowledge what you've done wrong. We're called to be peacemakers. I love how uh, a blogger from Desiring God, Dustin Shramack, describes a peacemaker or defines a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. This is what the sons of God are and the daughters of God. A peacemaker is someone who experiences peace, the peace of God. Because he is, is at peace with the God of peace through the Prince of Peace, who indeed is our peace, who therefore seeks to live at peace with all others and proclaims the gospel of peace so that others may have joy and peace in believing. That'll preach right there. That sounds like a good piece of poetry, uh, Ivy. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so this is great application. By the way, this whole section is application. 
So I don't know what I'm going to do when we get to the application section. Because this is all application. This is all live, live out the gospel. Live between the two advents. Live in the already, not yet. But one point of application is, we're, we're, this is, this is Christmas time. We remember the Prince of Peace. And we get, most of us get to spend time with loved ones. And when you go, when you went to Thanksgiving, did you have a peaceful time or unpeaceful time with family members? When you go to Christmas and you see family members for Christmas, are you at peace? Is there anybody you need to forgive? Is there anybody you need to pursue peace with in those relationships? Now, I know as much as you can, do your part. You can't force it on them. And your kids, you know, I know when you got young kids, it's, it's harder to cultivate peace in the house because it's rowdy. I mean, there's, but we can be at peace. I mean, Jesus was like taking a nap on a boat when there was a storm and the disciples were all frantic, freaking out, right? And Jesus is at peace, the Prince of Peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we need his reign in our hearts and our lives so that we can walk in this. We sh- this is a part of praying. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we experience peace here and that we experience peace here. So let's pursue that. The next, admonish the idol. Okay? Admonish the idol. Okay, we're called to be diligent, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. In light of the resurrection, in light of the gospel, in light of the first advent, and in in view of the second advent, do all the good you can. Labor in the Lord. And those who are slacking, they need a warning. They need admonishment. I like how Eugene Peterson in the message says, warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Or the NET said, the, the, the net Bible says, admonish the undisciplined. Admonish the idle. So perhaps in the, in the, the Thessalonian church, theologians speculate that, that there were some who, in hearing about Jesus is coming back, they, they, they took the application to that to just stop working. Well, Jesus is coming back soon, right? Anytime, like a thief in the night. Well, I'm just going to quit my job and just take it easy. He's coming back. How many of y'all would like to do that? Anybody? Okay. Well, if you do, if you do choose that lifestyle, we're going to warn you. We're going to admonish. We're going to admonish you. Work is good. God created work before the fall. And I think there's going to be some work in heaven. There's going to be some assignments for us to do in heaven. It's, there's going to be, it's going to be restful and we're going to rest from our labors here, but there's not going to be that, that toil, the painful toil that we experience because of the curse of Genesis three, uh, while we work. So admonish the idol, warn the freeloaders to get a move on, encourage the faint hearted, a, a, a gospel centered church, a healthy church should be marked by accountability, should be marked by honor, should be marked by harmony, should be marked by encouragement okay there's there's weak brothers and sisters amongst every church those who are just weighed down with burdens those who just feel like there's their strength is zapped out of them those who've been hit with the huge waves of life circumstances and it's just hard and painful and they need hope and they need tenderness they don't just need somebody to say pull yourself up by your bootstraps man don't grieve don't be sad rejoice you know, now, he does say rejoice. We'll talk about that here. But it's appropriate to grieve. And it's appropriate for us, for those who are hurting, to, to come alongside, to encourage somebody, to, to come alongside and to speak gently to them. And to remind them of the God, their God, who is their strength. To, to put courage in them. To encourage others is to put courage in them and others by appealing to their their intellect, to their will, to their emotions, by appealing to them with what God has said, what God has done, and what God says he's going to do. The faint-hearted are described as the timid, the discouraged, the stragglers, the feeble-minded, or the the, the Greek is literally the little-souled. Yeah, the message says, gently encourage the stragglers. Warren Wearsby says that these are the quitters in the church family. I mean, who's, who's feeling like just giving up? Out of faint-heartedness, discouraged and weak. May our church be marked by encouragement. May we be full of sons of encouragement and daughters of encouragement. Like Barnabas, 
who was a son of encouragement. Fortunate for the Apostle Paul that he got to run with somebody like him. When everyone else was like, this guy's a terrorist, don't let him come to our church. But Barnabas is like, no, man, this guy's legit. This guy's legit. He got, he got genuinely saved. And he encouraged and he cultivated. He called out the best instead of assuming the worst. Called out the best. And we need to be those who do that. Who call out the best in one another instead of assuming the worst. Amen. And so next he says, help the weak. Help the weak. Reach out. The message says, reach out to the exhausted, pulling them up to their feet. The weak and the exhausted sometimes don't feel like they have enough strength to carry on. But in the body of Christ, we can strengthen one another. We can encourage one another. We can help one another. May our church be marked by support and care and love. Helping the stragglers, not condemning them, shaming them, casting them out, but helping them. He says, be patient with everyone. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs, Eugene Peterson says. Or uh, another translation, the BBE says, putting up with as much from all. (laughs) Putting up with as much from all. Just put up with a bear with one another in love. Aren't you glad for the people in your life who's put up with you and have, have bared with you? And have been patient with you. We all need those patient people. And that's how God is. He's the God of patience. He's the God of grace. He's the, the God of peace. We need that from him. And we need that within the body of Christ. We need to reflect his image amongst one another. And be committed to one another. And walk with one another. And help contribute to the sanctification process. In the lives of our other brothers and sisters. Exhort one another daily while it's called today. Lest you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. And then do good to others. He says, see that no one repays evil, uh, anyone for evil, for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. May our church be marked by service. What a great time of year to seek to do good, not just within the church, but even outside to all the hurting people, the people who are aching, who don't have family members uh, during this time to celebrate with. Those who ha- are sick or have sick loved ones or those who've lost loved ones. And, and, and the holidays are just the reminder of the pain of that loss. May we shine bright. Let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven during this Advent season. If you want to make this Christmas season, season meaning, meaningful, be generous. Do good. Seek to help somebody. Love somebody. You'll find that your joy increases, your satisfaction increases, and it becomes more meaningful to you during this season. The message says, and be careful when you get on each other's nerves that you don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other. Always do your best to bring it out. And next, be joyful. Rejoice always. Rejoice always, not just sometimes, but always. Paul even talked about as sorrowful yet rejoicing in 2 Corinthians. We, we, can, we can be going through painful, sorrowful times, but, but still rejoice and still have joy that sustains us and strengthens us in the midst of sorrow. We don't, we don't deny the sorrow and the grief and the pain. We deal with it. We face it. But in the midst of it, we can still rejoice. We can re- rejoice with those who rejoice, right? We can weep with those who weep, what we're called to do. And so we always have a reason to rejoice in God because this life isn't it for us there's so much more god's always up to something and every hard circumstance that we find ourselves in god is trying to do something he is doing something good and is planning to do something good in our lives notice the comprehensiveness of these three statements that paul says this is the will of god for you in christ jesus rejoice always Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You see, I pray this for City Church, for us, that we be a joyful, prayerful, thankful church. When I think about praying, your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven, I think about joyful, prayerful, thankful. I think about holy. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And all the other commands and instructions that God gives us to walk out, to live. 
But specifically, Paul says, this is God's will for you. One theologian says, to pray without ceasing suggests a mental attitude of prayerfulness, continual personal fellowship with God, and consciousness of being in his presence throughout each day. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? Does it mean that you're always mumbling a prayer? You don't have time to talk to anybody at all because you're praying? You're just mumbling a prayer? You you don't have time to catch your breath because you're always saying a prayer? No, it's living with this awareness of God's presence, with a God consciousness, and keeping uh, an ongoing conversation with God throughout the day while you're making lunch, while you're making breakfast, while you're taking the kids to school, while you're working. You're just God conscious. You're living in the light of God's presence and the reality that God is there and God cares. And you're talking to him. And we can say as Brother Lawrence who wrote the book uh, Practicing the Presence of God, he encourages breath prayers. Just saying short breath prayers. You don't have to just stay in one place and pray long prayers and don't go anywhere to pray without ceasing. You, uh, You got work to do. You got life to carry on with responsibilities. And through whatever you're doing, you can be prayerful. And acknowledge the presence of God. Give thanks in all circumstances. This would have been great last week and the week before. Around Thanksgiving. This is a great Thanksgiving verse. Give thanks in all circumstances. May we be marked by thankfulness here at City Church. Overflowing with thankfulness because of all the blessings that have come our way in Christ Jesus. The opposite of this is complaining. Mumbling. Complaining. And while complaining and, and murmuring may may give a, a brief moment of uh, relief from some kind of difficult circumstance. It's toxic and it's unhelpful for us. And so recently our, our toilet has uh, got clogged up several times and that's been a pain, literally, and pain in the pocketbook. And uh, just uh, it, it, it seems to happen right during or before community group when we're hosting people. And the first time uh, I was telling Steve and Kevin or somebody else about it, and I just felt like it's a test, a trial. And he said, did you thank God? Steve, like with his assertive, did you thank God? Did you thank God, brother? (laughs) I was like, no, actually, I didn't thank God. Uh, I'm going to thank God next time, though. And I did. I started, I caught myself. I started to complain. Oh, another two, three hundred bucks. Or is this going to be thousands of bucks, you know? And and then I caught myself, I'm like, Lord, thank you. You're going to work this out. And I'm always amazed how God does work things out. God provides, you know, there's provision that comes in from one way or another. God shows up. And so we can be thankful to God on this side of our trial or in the midst of our trial because he's always going to work it for our good. Lastly, be spirit-led. This is actually, uh, be spirit-led. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. And so this is important because we want to be a spirit-filled church. A church that's led by the spirit, filled with the spirit, bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, using the gifts of the Holy Spirit to build up the church. And so what does he mean here by don't quench the spirit? He's, He's already told the Thessalonians, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have joy in the Holy Spirit, even in much afflictions. You're bearing fruit of the Holy Spirit, love. The, the, the imagery is like quenching a fire, okay? Don't, don't quench the fire. Don't, don't put out the fire of the Spirit. If, as God is working, the Holy Spirit's working in, in the, your relationships and in your life, don't, don't just shut them out because it, you're, you're uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit working. It makes you a little uncomfortable. I'm not charismatic, and that's a little weird to me. Well, the Holy Spirit's always been a part of Christianity from the beginning, from from Pentecost, Acts 2. God poured out his spirit. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters, your sons and daughters will prophesy. And so there's this new prophetic community where the church gets to utter the words of God led by the spirit. We have scripture, but then we have the spirit prompting us to speak God's heart and God's mind. One theologian says that believers are to be open to the disclosure of God's will through fellow Christians exercising the gift of prophecy. So verse 20, he goes into what he means about a specific example. Do not quench the spirit. Don't put the fire out. Don't despise prophecies. Now, 
Now, what's he talking about here? So the theologians debate about this, and so it would be good for us to talk about what are, what are prophecies. John Stott, a respected theologian, says prophecy is to know and to speak God's mind and will. To know and to speak God's mind and will. I like that. That's helpful. Now, some, some theologians would say prophecy is just preaching, just powerful preaching. That's prophecy. That's the gift of prophecy. Some theologians would say the gift of prophecy doesn't exist today. Cessationists would say that. I'm personally not a cessationist. I'm a continuous. I believe that the gifts have continued for today. God's speaking through people. Others would say that, you know, pr- prophecy is, is proclaiming a message from the Lord simply. Wayne Grudem, I think, does a, does a good job with his definition. He says, prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. We see this in the early church. They're worshiping, they're praying, or they're together, and somebody has a word. And we want to make space for that. We want to make space for that in our community groups. We want to make space for that here, during our testimony time, during, in our fellowship time afterwards. The Apostle Paul says, when he's correcting the, the, the Corinthian church because they had so emphasized the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, he says, man, you guys should really be going for prophecy because that's going to be a lot more helpful. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Don't shut down spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And then he tells us what prophecy is in verse 3. He says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. Really simple. It doesn't have to be super mystical. Like, oh, thus saith the Lord, the Lord told me this. Or it, doesn't have, it doesn't have to be like you're, you're predicting the future, though there, there are examples of that. Acts 21. Um, but, but here, this is what it primarily should look like in the church as we exercise the gift of prophecy. It should be marked by upbuilding, speak, encouragement. John Stott says, an authentic prophetic message will strengthen, encourage, and comfort the hearers, edify the church, bring conviction of sin and awareness of God, and be conducive to peace and order, and above all, love. That's a powerful statement right there. Take a picture of that one. Take note. If you want this, I'll, I'll send it to you later. And you can look up those verses there. Because Paul spends a good deal of time helping the Corinthians exercise these gifts properly. Motivated by love with the aim to build up the church and to glorify God with the gifts of these things. But he says, Paul says, don't quench that and don't despise it. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because you got some kooky folks who have prophesied some kooky words. And you just totally disagree with and you don't want to have anything to do with it. So that's why he says this. He gives us a more balanced approach. Test everything. Don't just take it too. Don't just be like, oh, yeah, that was great, brother. You know, sometimes you may not understand a word that somebody has for you. You put it on the shelf. You test it. You pray about it. And I push back if somebody's given me a directive word for my life. Like, man, you should do this. You're going to go to this school one day. That happened one time. To me, somebody said, you're going to go to this school one day. Some, some random stranger in a parking lot. And I was like, okay, I'll just put that up there. She, this, this lady was a believer. And I, you know, put it on the shelf. Took note. Like, okay, Lord, if you want me to go there, whatever. Years later, I forgot about it. Years later, when I enrolled to go to that school, I was reminded of that word. You're going to go to this school one day. Like, wow. Yeah, that was, and it was affirming. It affirmed me and what God, how God had been leading me. It didn't redirect me. I didn't sell everything I had. I'm like, oh, I'm going to the school now. It affirmed God's leading in my life and what God was doing in my life. And so we're to be discerning. We're to be marked by discernment. We're to be marked by the activity of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The living God. And he's speaking. He's moving. He's doing stuff in our lives. And so he says, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Or as one of my mentors would often say, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Eat the meat and spit out the bones. Somebody has a word and they want to encourage you. So here's John Stott gives five tests when you get a word from somebody, a prophetic word. And I think prophecy probably happens more than we realize, and we don't even realize it's a prophetic word. We're getting encouraged and somebody's sharing God's heart and God's will and they're speaking to us and over us and we're like and we don't even realize it because it doesn't seem super mystical or you know emotional you know he he gives the test of plain truth uh, the bereans be like bereans they search the scriptures when they heard paul they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so we want to be people of the bible 
and we want to be people of the Spirit. And we don't want to just be one, people of the Spirit, not people of the Bible. Unfortunately, some churches land take that route. Others are people of the, of, of the Spirit, not the Bible. Others are people of the Bible, not the Spirit. And God calls us to a Christianity that embraces both. Truth. The truth of Scripture and, and the work, the power of the Holy Spirit. Not denying that power. Because we have the power of the Spirit living inside of us. The divine human person of Jesus, 1 John 4. If anyone doesn't acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, test the spirits, he says. Then that person is not from God. The, the gospel of God's free and saving grace through Christ Jesus. Paul says, if anyone preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. And Paul went in correcting legalists in Galatians who were Judaizers, who were trying to mix legalism with Christianity. And challenged, and even, you know, he even told Peter, he confronted Peter about not being straightforward about the gospel. And so we, we put it, we put a word up to the test of how's this align with the gospel? Does it take away, diminish the truth of the gospel, which is core? We want to be gospel centered. The known character of the speaker is another test. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Look out for wolves in sheep's clothing. Okay, there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be false prophets. They're going to say crazy things. They may say some good things that are really persuasive. But their lives are in shambles. And their relationships are in shambles. And they have lack of fruit in their life. Jesus says you'll know them by the fruit. They should have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And lastly, the degree, the test of, to the degree this, of what's said, does it build up and edify? Does it contribute to the peace and the edification and the strengthening of the saints? Lastly is be holy. May we be marked by holiness. He says, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And then Paul prays this powerful prayer. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus, the second advent. Remember, remember Jesus prayed for this. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart. Paul's saying, may the Lord sanctify, may God do this. The God of peace do this in your life. Completely, comprehensively sanctify you that you're kept blameless. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. A couple weeks ago, I had a dream that I was standing before Jesus. And I'm not going to go into detail about it, but I woke up and it was intense. And it was in the midst of this series. And it's motivating. I've been thinking about it. I'm thinking, that day's coming soon. He's come. He's coming back. And I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And I'm going to do what I'm doing even more as a result. Because I want to hear those words from him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's what Paul sets us up for in First Thessalonians, he sets us up to always live, and this is my one application point, always live with the first and the second coming of Christ in view. Think about how different and how powerful our lives would look, how winsome and persuasive our lives would look if we lived in light of Christ's first coming and in light of his second coming, when there's going to be a resurrection, when there's going to be a reunion. Lord, if there's anyone here among us who's just been playing church or going through the motions and is not ready, ready to see you, God, I pray that you'd wake them up. And I pray that those of us who know you and are abiding in you and are walking with you, God, would be motivated more and more, energized with the hope of the gospel to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing our labor is not in vain. Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful, giving food to the hungry, welcoming the strangers, 
visiting the sick, visiting the prisoners, that we would do that unto you. Free us up, God, from our self-focus, our self-consciousness, and may we be God-focused and just abandon and surrender to your will. Help us, God. We need your grace. May we have the confidence that the Apostle Paul expresses in this letter and in the Philippian letter that you will surely do this. He who is faithful will surely do this. You will complete the good work that you've started within us. You will complete it unto that day. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Amen.